Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. This story is quite interesting to me, not only for the rapid acceleration of growth that they've had. Imagine starting a company and within three years being in hundreds of thousands of organizations in nearly every country on this planet. It's an amazing story, but I think what she has to offer from a business model standpoint and a product is going to be something that can honestly transform the way you do business. So stay tuned, take a listen, and get ready to meet Jennifer Smith, co-founder and CEO of Scribe. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, it, it yours is such an interesting story on, on a lot of different levels. And this is always a very fast-paced interview, but give our listeners, in your own words, the absolutely wonderful thing that Scribe does and why so many organizations embrace it. Scribe automatically captures your processes, the things that make your business run. So every business has a lot of institutional know-how. How do we do this here? How do we use this software? What does our process look like? With Scribe, you just hit the record button and you work like you normally would. It'll automatically create step-by-step -step written documentation with screenshots showing exactly how to do that process. So now you can take the magic of what any individual person knows how to do and scale it across everyone on your team, your customers, or your clients. I think this is so wonderful. I, I always remember the story of a gentleman that I interviewed who runs a water plant in South Africa. And they they have a lot of day workers and yet you have a product that has to maintain quality and consistency and his whole thing was document the process so that no matter what station somebody walks up and uses they can do the job and i think in manufacturing you you think about okay that makes sense and we don't spend enough time thinking about it for office workers i know there's this statistic um that you use that knowledge workers spend about 20 percent of their time just trying to figure out how to do their jobs. And I mean, Jennifer, wild, isn't it? it is, it's crazy. And, and I manage a, a lot of, a lot of teams and, and you're absolutely correct because you are so busy working. You don't have time to document. That's what I found really cool about scribe is you, you can't not find the time to document it because you're using automation to make it happen. Jennifer, roll us back. Where did this big idea come from for you? You know, I, I say that I, I'm like very much an accidental uh, tech CEO. I think if you had asked me uh, five years ago, 10 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, would you ever be in the position you're in today? I, I probably would have said absolutely not. But to me, it was really an obsession with a problem that I've seen for a really long time. I started my career as a consultant at McKinsey. I spent seven years there working with really big tech companies and banks um, in the operations practice. So going into picture big kind of centers of people sitting in cubicles, doing processes on their computers all day long. My job was to go look over their shoulder, figure out what the heck they were doing and, and how we could make it better. And the way we would do that is you figure out who the best person in that center is and you befriend them and you ask them, what are you doing differently than everyone else? 
And they would tell me, right? They'd say, oh gosh, well, I was trained to do all of these things and I'm, I'm dating myself. They'd pull out a really thick binder, right? Yeah. Throw it down on the desk. Say, Here are all of the procedures I was taught to do, but you know, I found these shortcuts instead. And my team would write that down in PowerPoint and sell that back for a whole bunch of money. And, and I always thought at the time, well, gosh, if you had had a way to scale what these people knew how to do, like you could have improved this whole performance of this op center. But to your point, like those people don't have time to write down what they know how to do or teach someone else. They're too busy doing their jobs, right? And I sort of said, well, that's an obvious problem. Someone will solve that someday, sure, right? And I kind of <laughs> went on my merry way and I went to business school and then I went into venture capital and on the enterprise software side. And there I spent a lot of time talking to buyers of enterprise software and over 1,200, in fact. And this problem kept coming up. They kept saying like, my business runs on processes and I have all of this really valuable knowledge that lives in all of my knowledge workers' heads. And it walks out the door every day, 5 p.m. And I got to hope that it comes back. And to your point, you really face a dilemma of, you know, hey, if I want to capture that info, I either tell someone like, take time away from your job and write down what you know how to do. That's not a popular request, by the way. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you hire some version of 28-year-old Jennifer as a consultant with her Lenovo ThinkPad, right? And, and that's not a great outcome either. And so- we looked at that and said, well, gosh, the technology exists. Like, why couldn't you create documentation as digital exhaust? Just, it's not an either or anymore. It's an and. Just do your normal work. Just hit a button, hit the record button, do your normal work, and it'll automatically create this stream of documentation that shows how to do what you already know how to do. And so that was really exciting to me as, a, as, a, as just a, a concept and as the impact that I thought that could have within companies and and frankly, on like the day-to-day -day experience of knowledge workers. Well, dear listeners, I, I do want you to understand as, as Jennifer is trying to sound so humble. I mean, she did go to Princeton. She has her MBA from Harvard. Um, but even with that, you have to have some, you know, get with it type of attitude to say, yeah, it, it's, guess what? I'm looking in the mirror and it's me that's going to solve this problem. What in your gut changed it for you that, like I said, when you looked in the mirror, you were like, it, it's me. I'm going to solve this problem. I I spent a bunch of time looking around to see how other people were solving it. Because I was like, surely someone's doing something here. And so I spent time playing around with other pieces of software and uh, talking to, to people and realized like, no, no one is doing anything about this. And, it, and it's really because they don't even think of it as a problem. Like I think the best technology, the best solutions solve a problem that's almost hiding in plain sight. And the thing that's coolest for me, and maybe a little frustrating, when I share Scribe with people who haven't seen it before, is their first reaction is, whoa, this is amazing. And then it's almost disbelief. Like, um, <laughs> why haven't I seen this before? This seems really obvious. Like, is this too good to be true? And and I think, you know, the, the part about the obvious is like a little tongue in cheek because we spent a lot of time building and iterating and trying to figure out the best way to, to solve this problem that I think most of us just assume as part of doing business, right? We just sort of say, hey, well, of course it's hard to train new people. Of course it's, I have to take time away from my job to show someone how to do something. Like that's just the way that work is and, and humans are. And so I get really interested in companies and, and problems where you say like, what if it didn't have to be that way? Like what, what if there was a better way? Like what would that world look like? What would that, what would that solution be like? How would that change how people spend their time? And so I started going down that thought experiment with, with Scribe. And then I just got so excited. I kind of couldn't turn back. 
Well, for our listeners, if if you're near a computer, take a look at scribehow.com so you can you can take a peek and follow along with this conversation. I want to shift because I think the other piece is, is not only is this a really incredible tool, it's an incredible tool at the right time, at the right time in in space because I run an office that we've just basically gone virtual only together one day a week. And the idea of how do I easily onboard new employees when you're not even in the same office space, I think it's daunting for a lot of of companies and they need a product like Scribe. So tell us how you got that initial launch and go-to-market strategy for that adoption. Because three years, hundreds of thousands of organizations almost covering the entire global footprint um, what was that magic that happened for you? I think for us, it was, we very purposefully built a product to solve a pain point for the end user. That sounds really obvious, but actually a lot of software meant to be used at work is designed for the buyer, not the person who's actually using it. Right. And so we've all experienced this. You could probably name your favorite enterprise test tool. It's not always the, the easiest and the friendliest. And we said, well, how do we create something that has really three attributes to it? We said we want it to be uh, really, really easy to use. So very simple, very fast. We actually clock it. The average scribe takes 56 seconds to create. So if you think about the denominator of your ROI, how do we make that really as easy and frictionless as possible? We thought about how do we give you the maximum value for that time that you're spending, right? So how do we make it really high max ROI for that user? And then how do we design something that's inherently viral, right? And a scribe's only ever created to be shared with someone else. And then we made the product free. And then we said, sort of go to town with it. Like all we ask is that you give us feedback on, on you know, what you're seeing from this and what you'd like to see. And and people responded. I mean, what's been really great about that when you, I think, show up with an, an intent to just create value for your users and then see what you learn from it is we learned all kinds of things and people very kindly then shared it with their friends and their colleagues. They're sending people scribes, as we call our guides. Um, and, and from there, someone will receive one and say, Oh, this looks really cool and interesting. Like how did this person do this? And they start clicking through our website and then takes three minutes. They become a user themselves. And so for us, a big part of it was, was the product. And then I think the other part is just the problem we're solving, right? It's such a human problem. How many times have you been asked by one of your colleagues, especially now that you guys are all virtual? Mm -hmm. Hey, Allison, um, really, you got a minute really quick. Can you show me how do you, how do you do this thing again? How are we supposed to do this? Right. Or how many times have you yourself sat there and like tried to remember or figure out a process that maybe someone had showed you before. And so I think it was just such a relatable human problem. And once someone experiences a solution to it and they say, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that, that this could exist, that there could be a better way, like that becomes really exciting. I think there's like an emotional resonance to that. Well, I think once you become like, I'm going to say wear the business owner hat and it doesn't matter whether you own the business or you're the general man, you know, the general manager or the, the CEO, once you hit that level where you think about people in terms of dollars. I know that sounds so so awful when we say it, but you have to. You're you're running a business, you're thinking about profitability, you think about people are dollars, time is money. And often it's it's the high it's the highest people in a department that are that you're paying to also waste their time creating these these tutorials. And so it just wins for everybody. Jennifer, I want to flip topics because this isn't just a little nice tech type of product, you you intentionally went 
and did a, a seed round seeking 30 million in funding. And so can you walk us just through a little bit of, of what was the objective with that money and um, what strategies do you think you used that made the funding, the fundraising successful? Yeah. So um, uh, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. So I'll try to be um, pretty brief about it. So I, I believe in not fundraising for a long time until you have very clear kind of product market fit or, or raising a very minimal amount. So we had mm -hmm. raised a very small amount in our first round, really enough to hire a couple engineers and figure out like, does anyone even care about this thing that I think that they will care about? Right. Am I, am I right? Um, and we were way oversubscribed for that round. And I said, no, I just want to take a really small amount, the minimum we need to, to really prove whether there's a there there. And I believe that like running really lean, painfully lean is actually the best and most efficient way to, to build the business in the early days. Because if you have too much money or too many resources or too much time, you don't feel the constraints in the same way. And so you don't make the ruthless trade-off decisions. You don't look yourself in the mirror and ask the really hard questions that, you know, running out of cash will force you to do as a business leader, mm -hmm. right? And so we ran really painfully lean for a long time until it felt really like the market was pulling it out of us, right? And, and we just like couldn't keep up with the demand. And we said, okay, it's, it's clear that there's a there there. And so we raised um, a seed round then, which was a few million dollars, a bit bigger. We sort of said, again, to now uh, go out and start telling our story. We've never talked about the scribe story publicly. It was only driven by user word of mouth. We said, let's raise some money so we can actually, you know, do this marketing and sales thing, right? Um, and then we were very fortunate because, you know, we saw such such rapid growth. We were preempted for our um, $30 million Series A. So that was not a strategy. We didn't run a process. There was sort of no intention behind it. Um, I was eight months pregnant when we announced it. So the timing was arguably not even very good. Um, but it, <laughs> And I it do was love that the... part of your story. Eight months pregnant and here we go. <laughs> I was on the, um, you know, you do like these, uh, these press interviews, um, mm -hmm. before you go to release it. And I'm like, I was having contractions during my <laughs> press interview. I had, I had some early contractions. So I had to tell the reporter, I'm like, my grimaces have nothing to do with you. I'm just very pregnant over here. You can't see it on the zoom. Um, so, uh, you know, it was, uh, the kind of like right, right time when we weren't even looking for it, but meant that we could then put our foot on the gas pedal really hard. So I, I almost think about building businesses as like this extreme, right. Where you're like, you run painfully lean. And then when it becomes clear that you really have something, and if you're in a market where, where the TAM is big enough and, and we are, you then put your foot on the gas pedal and go as aggressively as you can. And our funding matched that, that, that approach. No, that's, that sounds, and, and this is why you have um, teams and co-founders. So as, as you said, um, you know, the weight's not on, on one person when you clearly, um, I can imagine you in that uh, delivery room being like, snow still, we got, we got things to do. <laughs> um, I, and I, I say frantically hired before that baby came. The good news is you got <laughs> nine months head start. And so we, uh, we hired a lot during those nine months. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I get it. I'm a mom of, I'm a mom of three and, um, and I've, I've worked in over 30 countries. I've worked way too many hours. My children will say that, but yet they're, they're very productive citizens themselves because they're like, no, this is what you, what you, what you do. You, you contribute, you work, you think you, you keep moving forward. So, Hey, I want to switch and, and talk about, uh, culture and, and, and leadership within your teams at, at Scribe. 
Um, are your team all geographically close? Are they dispersed throughout the world? What what does your team and culture look like? Yeah, we have we have a hybrid, uh, like many companies today. So we have a base in San Francisco. We have an office. About half of our team is here, um, and we'll go into the office between two and five days a week, depending on the person. And that's really great to get that in person time. And then the other half of our our folks are are really kind of sprinkled all over. Um, and we make it a priority to figure out how to really balance having a hybrid team where you aren't, you know, over-preferencing conversations that are happening in person and you're, you're looping in the hybrid people, but also making sure we all get in-person time together. So we've got policies around, you know, when people can come visit in San Francisco and creating even just that social space for people to connect. What is next for Scribe? What, what do you see as another evolution? Is it just expanding into more organizations? Is it adding something that is a new type of product offering within the suite? Yeah, if you think about the problem that we're solving, right? You have all of this institutional know-how in your experts' heads. There are people in the company. Everyone knows how to do something special and valuable. How do we make it so it's almost like you're lifting open their mind and just automatically sharing out what they know with all the people who need to know it, whether those are people on their team or their customers or whomever asks them questions on how to do things, right? We've really focused on how do we make it really easy to almost pull open that person's mind and automatically document and share what they know how to do. The next phase is then thinking about how do we make it even easier for the people receiving that on the other side, right? What if you could get answers to questions on how to do things in context in the moment you have those questions without even having to go somewhere? What if it almost sort of intelligently popped up and said, oh, hey, I see you're in Salesforce. That's our most commonly ascribed uh, application, mm -hmm. right? And I see you're about to go generate a quarterly report. Here's a scribe that your colleague, uh, Allison, who's our resident Salesforce expert, created to help anyone who needs to generate a report in Salesforce. Here you go. You didn't even have to go bother Allison. Allison was able to, to scale her knowledge to everyone on her team. So we're thinking a lot now about what do those team dynamics start to look like and how do you make it a much more fluid exchange between the people who know how to do work and the people who are asking questions and trying to learn and figure it out in a way that doesn't distract from anyone doing their actual work, because that's really important. No, I, I really appreciate that. And I think there's just, it, as you said, there's there's so many levels to this, and particularly with the rotating workforce, uh, because I don't think this trend is going to go away, particularly yeah. your, you know, your less than five or 10 year workers, they're, they're going to continue to rotate at a faster speed. And I see so much value in this. I want to flip the topics again and head over to asking you what was a kind of, I always talk about naked truths. What was a hard lesson that you would say you learned along the path of getting Scribe to market and over its its first, you know, millions in, in income? <laughs> How much time you got? <laughs> I mean, many hard lessons. Um, so I'm, I'm rolling, rolling through them in my head. I think one of the hardest things to do as a, as a CEO is to know when to listen and when to trust your gut or, or just make a decision. And there were so many moments in the company's history where we faced kind of a, a fork in the road and they're not truly forks in the road. There's actually very few real forks in the road that you ever have, right? But in the moment, they might feel that way. 
And, you know, I would, I would ask my team, my team and I are usually on, on the same page, but then I'd ask our investors or sort of external advisors and, and get a whole bunch of different perspectives. And I remember when I started Scribe, I went around and talked to a bunch of founders that I know and respect of companies that are, you know, much farther ahead than we were at the time and said, what piece of advice do you have for me? And I'd say the thing they almost universally said to me is, you know, your customers, you know, your problem, you know, your technology better than anyone else. And mm-hmm. so listen to what the experts and the investors and the advisors all have to say, but at the end of the day, like trust your gut on where you need to go with this. And so there were definitely moments where I had, you know, uh, folks that that I, I trust who said to me, like, that's the wrong call. You're making a big mistake. This is not going to work out. And I had to look them in the eye and say, I have more data than you do. I've talked to more customers. I, I really believe this. I've seen it. Like, we're going to go ahead and do it anyways. And, and you just got to trust me. Uh, and it's really hard to know, you know, when to do that and and when to kind of pull back and and listen to external perspectives. So it's it's always kind of a hard balance. I don't know that I've got a clear clear lesson in there, other than it's something to really pay attention to. It it absolutely is. I what you're saying makes complete sense because there's also this imp- opinion overload, and and so you're right. You have to get it to a a piece where you trust your gut. And at least if it's a decision that doesn't go the right way, you're not going to second guess yourself going, oh, I shouldn't have taken that person's piece of information. There's a lot of wisdom out there and and you can be very blessed to have the right advisors. And particularly if you're talking about a gap, a knowledge gap area that you have, but I love what you say, you know, you have the data, make sure you've done your homework, that you have your data and you're operating off of good, solid knowledge and it will do miracles for you. Yeah. I would think about it as an information asymmetry almost, right? Which mm-hmm. is when you're talking to advisors or experts, the you're trying to exploit an information asymmetry, which is you've seen this a lot more than I have. And so maybe you can do some pattern recognition here, right? And that's mm-hmm. really valuable. You need to also recognize if they are overfitting a pattern that doesn't fit your business because whatever you're doing is unique and special and you have more data, the information symmetry, asymmetry goes to your advantage on that side. And so like whenever you're seeking advice, you got to always think like who has the information asymmetry here, right? And and you want to lean on the side of the person who has more data, more information, whether that's better pattern recognition or a better understanding of the current problem or business. Oh, absolutely. You have a very full plate. You are working on this business and yeah, you have big teams, but as you said, it's, it's, it's still, you're, you're the CEO. You have a a family life that you balance. Where are you going today to get inspiration, new business information, keep yourself fresh? Go to my users. The the thing that energizes me the most is talking to our users. And so I'm a big consumer of, we record our user interviews, we record customer calls. Um, I will take a look at, we've got internal Slack channels where all of our customer feedback gets piped into, whether that's into our support channel, whether that's people are sending us messages one-on-one, whether that's people tweeting about us, we get a lot of activity on Twitter and social media. And so that to me is a huge source of 
inspiration, both the really positive messages. A lot of people reach out and will just say really nice things and be thankful to our team. And that I'll tell you will fill up your tank for the week uh, in terms (laughs) of energy and inspiration, but also people sharing, Hey, I was trying to do this with your product. Right. And I couldn't do it. And I would love to see, you know, this or that feature or, or help me solve this problem better. And so it helps me also think about like, where are we going? What's the next frontier of where we can take this for people? Well, fantastic. I always say these interviews happen very fast. The end comes up very quickly. Um, is there anything else that that you would like to share? I know before we started recording, you gave a, a very positive shout out to your co-founder, but is there anything else that, that you would share that you seem um, to talk a lot about when you go and you speak or when you do other interviews that maybe our listeners might like to hear? Uh, we talk a lot. I talk a lot about uh, a growth mindset and a lot has been written about this. I, I think about this in the, the context of a startup and and also our product and what we're trying to do for our users and enable our users to do. And it's a big part of how we run our team as well, right? So one of our, our mottos is be the place where great people come to do the best work of their careers. And so there's a, a few parts to that, but but one of the parts is how do we create an environment where people can show up and do work they feel proud of? And so that's about creating a place where people feel really respected and included, but also where we're constantly pushing and challenging each other. And a big part of that is this growth mindset idea. And so if you, if you come to work every day saying, how can I be a little bit better today? Like, I want to do more. I want to be better. I believe every person shows up to work and feels that way internally. And and maybe the external environment changes, like how, how strongly they feel that way at the end of the day. But I think everyone internally feels that. And so um, we think a lot in, in our company about like, how do we create an environment where we're constantly pushing and challenging people and and really fostering that. So people end the day saying like, oh gosh, I was uncomfortable today. And I did something a little bit more, a little bit better. And with our product, we think about that for our users, right? Mm -hmm. Like everyone knows how to do something valuable. What if everyone knew how to do the best of what everyone else knows how to do? What if we could up-level an entire team and share the best of what everyone has? And it's almost a way of scaling yourself and what you know how to do and what's really valuable about you. So you have even greater impact. And so I'm always talking about thinking about like, how can you do more, not more hours, not more grinding. Right. But, but almost from like a place of inspiration where you say, Hey, I just want to see what's possible. I want to see what I'm capable of. And I believe that it'll be more tomorrow than it was yesterday. Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing that. I I think there was a lot of wisdom in what you, what you said there. And, um, I, uh, be the place where the best people can do the best. I didn't quite get all of it, but I- Work I, of their lives. Work of their lives. I, that is just so wonderful. And I think anybody listening, you know, when we think about our 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 mission and our vision and our, our values, sometimes we need to use fewer words and just be very inspirational in a simple way, just like you laid out for us. So thank you for that. Hey, if people want to learn more, Uh, connect with you, where should they go and what should they do? Uh, So you can find me, I'm most active on LinkedIn, uh, Jennifer Smith. Uh, Make sure you type in Scribe too. Otherwise there's a lot of people with my name. Um, And if you want to learn more about Scribe, you can check us out, scribehow.com. The product's free to use. So, uh, and it takes four minutes from the moment you land on our site to the moment you've been able to create and share your first Scribe guide. Um, So I encourage anyone, if Anyone ever asks you, hey, how do I? Hey, you got a minute to show me how to do this? Just shoot them a scribe and save yourself the meeting. Thank you so much for sharing that. And and I really do encourage our listeners 
to go and, and take a look at scribehow.com. Uh, if Jennifer shared something in this interview that you think somebody else needs to hear, please pass along a copy of this episode. Or if you want to connect with her, she's a great professional to add to your network. Um, as always, uh, if you are looking for more business insights and building your business, pick up my book, Building Your Brand, Make Business Happen in a Global Economy. Until we speak again, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks so much for having me. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.